this week. I'm so excited. We have two guests today, which means they get to talk more and I get to talk less, which everyone I'm sure is excited about. Oh yeah. Jade, we love <laughs> listening to you talk. I know, but like, I then have to listen to myself talk when I like edit this thing and like go through it 10 times. And it's a lot. I feel like I just listen to myself talk all the time, but um, <laughs> I love having other people talk. That's amazing. So today we have Channing Moreland and Mackenzie Stokel here. They are the co-founders of the company called Eva. They started in January, 2015. So survived a lot over the past few years, including a pandemic, which obviously we did too. And we know the challenges that I'm sure you guys went through. Um, but Eva is a technology driven platform that connects all industries with professional entertainment and interactive experiences for their events. They're currently servicing leading brands and companies with their live hybrid and virtual needs. So first off, explain to us a little more about Eva and what it is and how it works and, and how this technology came about. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, this is Mackenzie. Uh, we started this business in college really as a company that booked bands for venues or bars around town. All of our friends were artists or songwriters. And so we kind of had a lot of people to choose from as far as seeing some live music and wanted to really help them get booked as well as go to as many live shows as possible and did that through college before realizing we could automate a lot of what we were doing and really shift to start focusing on kind of more corporate and private events as well. Cool. So you guys both went to Belmont University, which I can see out of my window. Cassie and I also started our business in college at MTSU. So we have a lot in common, you know? That's awesome. Yes. I. It's so cool to be here now because it was great to get to uh, interview both of you for the Women in Music webinar. And when we were hearing more about your story, I was just like, oh my God, Mackenzie and I need to talk to them because <laughs> it's cool to see how we have a very similar uh, path it seems and surviving a lot of things I yeah a lot yeah a lot a hundred percent so yeah I mean I think it would be really cool during this podcast to kind of talk about the challenges you face versus some of the challenges we faced because my hunch is that there are going to be differences because we kind of started businesses like 10 years apart or there are also going to be a lot of similarities so in starting this this company what challenges have you guys faced just from the ground up? Yes. I feel like so many, and it's crazy how, you know, people like you can gain so much insight from mentors or advisors, but you also still have to go through a lot of it yourself mm -hmm. and make those mistakes. Uh, I think the first thing, the first big challenge was starting a technology based company as not tech founders. We really tried to pick up the slack by uh, learning, um, you know, how to communicate uh, to developers and even how to understand uh, project management and the inner workings of that dev build out. But still, like the amount of mistakes and lessons learned we had over the first couple of years is like, oh my God, that's a whole thing in itself. But I'd say that, Ken's, I'm sure, you know, we have like a million others. <laughs> Yeah, I would say just the fact that we started this business without ever actually having real jobs was interesting as well. You know, we didn't have any structure at all and we were really making it all up as we went um, and pretty much failing at most things the first time. So <laughs> we, I'm, you know, to, when you even said 2015, I was like, oh my gosh, it's been six years. That's crazy. But we have come quite a long way at this point. And I'm happy to say we are still in business. 
But I always say with CrowdSurf, for, for whatever reason, year seven felt like the year of some stability. Like it, to me, it took that long to be like, okay, I don't feel like I'm going to go out of business every single day. <laughs> and yes. some days that still happened, but like, that was kind of my like epiphany year of like, oh, like, I think the key thing that happened that year was like, Cassie and I actually went onto a like payroll cycle for ourselves. And it wasn't just, oh, the employees get paid. We'll get whatever's left. It was like, oh, we can actually afford to like expect a paycheck, which was like a really huge life-changing thing at that point. So yeah, seven years is where it took. So where are you guys kind of in your stability process? I'm having like a like mind blow moment right now because I, I feel like there is something about seven year cycles. Like I've yeah. seen that and, and just in life and like big shifts, but also I'll never forget. I was listening to the CEO of the company life is good. Give a talk. And he said that it took him seven years to really get the, the final understanding of what like their core business could be in the business model and what mm -hmm. actually was going to work. And it took that long of a time to get to that place. And back like in two, year two of us starting our company, I was like, Oh my God, that's so long. Like that's, that's must be a lifestyle business. Oh my God. How wrong was I? But it's crazy because I so hear you Jade and, and agree with you that I feel like we're coming on to a lot of realizations and everything you were saying I was like, yes, that's, that's how we feel in like year six of this. Like we're coming to that point of stability. Yeah. So when you guys started, because like with us, it started with solely MySpace pages. We were running MySpace pages for a living, which back in the day, I mean, this was before like automated things were even in practice. And it was a lot of just clicking follow, 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 like friend, I guess it was friend, friend, friend. Um, and we started there and then we kind of like, we were really in that like pocket of digital becoming a household name. So then YouTube comes along and Facebook comes along, but it's not the way Facebook is now, it's very connected to universities and some people have it and some people don't. There were no artist pages. I remember it was probably, artist pages have only really been around for a decade or so. They were not part of the original Facebook structure. And I'm sure if anybody has watched, you know, the Facebook movie, you know, it wasn't designed for that. So that had to be created. And a lot of people like us had a lot of input on that. So, you know, starting your business, like what was your MySpace? I'm assuming it's like booking your friends at college. And how is how is that changed into a plethora of other, you know, dimensions in your services? That is a great question. And even before the booking our friends for fun, there was like a business model idea there that never took off really. But that was the reason we started it, which was basically a glorified calendar of events in Nashville. Mm -hmm. You know, we came to... Nashville to go to Belmont as kids wanted to go to as many live events as possible and would find out, you know, we'd have to do a lot of research on our own to find these shows or just be following all of the artists we wanted to see. So, you know, I, every month we were kind of looking at all of the venue websites to see when, what shows were happening. So we were like, let's just put it all in one place and then, oh, maybe for people that are just visiting Nashville that want to see a live show, we'll recommend what shows they should see based on their music preferences. Um, so we never even built that product or got that far with that idea, but that was kind of the first initial plan of our business. So would you say that that core 
like desire to create that and it probably was a mix but was it more about like being a fan and wanting to see shows or truly being like I want to be a little booking agent like like or was it kind of a mix of both of those yeah I I feel like it was us wanting to be there ourselves and wanting to create a better experience than maybe we were finding. I think a part of that too was we felt a little boxed out in what was available to us in Nashville because a lot of the venues were 21 and up or certain shows Mm -hmm. we couldn't get into. And so Ken's and I've always found a way in, but we wanted to also design things for that college community that we would yeah. like to go to. So I think it was wanting to be like little mini producers, but also have a hand yeah. in what people were seeing and hearing about. Yeah, we were, so I didn't go to MTSU till I was 22. Cassie was normal age. And so it was always about how do we get us both into something? So, you know, Cassie's gotten some shady IDs over the years, shared yes. <laughs> lots of, <laughs> lots of, I remember one time, I don't know why this was so funny, but uh, we were at a club in Boston and it actually wasn't for a show. We were hanging out with like a band we loved and it was one of the guy's birthday. And he's like, come to Boston. And we're like, okay, but she couldn't get in because she was like 20. So I used my license and she used my passport. And so we had to go in with like, in like incremental times. So like, yeah, we like, we're like, okay, you're going to go this time. I'm going to go this time. And like, it was, it was <laughs> and it worked, thing. it worked. But um, I'm just one of those people that like, I follow the rules and like that kind of, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to get arrested. Like what's going to happen. But uh, we did it. So, you know, I, we, We've been there and that's hard. Like, actually, I've never really thought of that in a, in a way like that, the way you said it, because like I did come to Nashville when I was 22 and I never had that problem, but I guess it is weird when you're at Belmont and you want to go experience the music industry and you're not 21, you know, I guess I just never had to deal with that, but that's a, that's a really good point. I've never really thought about that. So, so now where you guys are at and, you know, going into your, your six, what are the, like those key services you're offering to, to your clients? Yeah. So now we have a platform that really automates the process of booking entertainment. And so we do more than just music. Now we'll do things like speakers, comedians. um, And then certainly over this past year, virtual specific things, So we'll do a lot of like interactive games or trivia or scavenger hunts, things like that for virtual events. Um, And so we vet all of the entertainment that makes sure it works for corporate, but then also we kind of just deal with contracts, payment, everything all in one place to try and make that. So let me get, let me like, so say I'm a company and I want to book, say we want to book a music artist for our Christmas party. I would come to you and ask you to help me book that, correct? Yes. Say I'm an artist and I want to help get booked. Is that something you can help with? Yes. Oh, so you you go on both sides of the pendulum. Yeah. Yeah. That was really where we saw the opportunity, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because we felt like a lot of this process for both sides was extremely archaic. We're like, if we can add some technology, streamline this and make it a playing field for both sides and Mm -hmm. open, you know, open both parties to being able to connect with one another. So we assist that entertainment um, to get that additive revenue through Eva. And then we help the buyer, you know, have access and find what they're looking for. Amazing. That's so cool. I love that you did it different than the other people had done it before. I think that's just, it's just key to growing and and making the music industry more accessible for everyone and just keeping it, keeping it going, you know, like people get bored of the same old, same old stuff. Um, And, you know, we talk about this a lot with 
what we do with, you know, digital, as far as marketing and all that, it has opened the door to not only have, you know, superstar artists go on tour or perform live, like anyone with talent that wants to kind of pursue those things now has, you know, everything from the tools to create the music, to put it out there in the world, to distribute it, to market it, et cetera. And in the same form, you're kind of filling that, that gap on the, on the booking side, which is really cool. Yep, exactly. We, I think too, that's a good point. You mentioned just doing things differently. Like I think it was probably to our favor that we started so early and didn't necessarily know what the rules were in the music industry, like what those boundaries are, because we kind of just like barreled through, didn't (laughs) ask questions. We just started making our own rules. And I think maybe somebody with more experience would have known that, oh, these this is probably not going to work well if we do it this way. We're just like, we're just going to do it anyway. Well, they told us. They ended up being like, don't do that. And we're like, "Eh." (laughs) Okay, so what was something that you were right about that you did differently? I think what a a good experience for us, um, one thing that comes to mind is why we really started was because we felt like there was a lot of barriers to entry for fans that Mm -hmm. shouldn't be there. And so we wanted to create a place where they could have the upper hand as well and how they get access to that talent. Um, but then there was a part of our growth where I think we, we, I know I was really at fault in this and Mackenzie was always better at keeping us on course, but like I started seeing the opportunities to partner with some larger players and I was like, well, like, how do we like navigate this? How do we get involved with them in the music industry side and then provide access? But we've, I think we've kind of come back to our original plan of like, ah, we're going to make some people upset here. And we were right about how we need to do that and that we need to really lift the veil and give access because by, by just playing their game, we're not doing any innovation, like you're saying. So it's, it's what we're talking about here, but it was me, I think really realizing, yeah, like we got to do what the real purpose was and not just play the same game. And that's why you've succeeded, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, I mean, right away, a lot of people were like, booking agents aren't going to use this technology or booking agents would tell us, I'm not going to use this technology to do it. Like, this is how I'm used to doing things my way. Why would I change? But we just kind of didn't take no for an answer and said, okay, well, we'll get enough demand that makes that you have to like, okay, if you really, if you don't want these gigs, like we'll go to the next one, but why would you say no to all these opportunities? So we just had to keep kind of building and doing it anyway, even though they straight up said like, we don't want to do it this way. So during this process, did, who were some of the people who did support you and kind of gave you that chance to, to grow the business with, you know, with their teams? There's a lot. I think we did an accelerator called Project Music the first year that it was around. And that was a great way for us to just meet different companies and individuals within companies that were those decision makers. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, because because we were in that accelerator, it gave us a little bit of legitimacy, I think, to start. And um, just the fact that we got in, we could kind of say, oh, we're associated with this accelerator. So they would, you know, take our meeting and they would talk to us and work with mm-hmm. us. So, um, some individual like Jody Williams is an individual Mm -hmm. that was at BMI at the time who totally just believed in this right away, saw the need, thought it was a good idea and like still, you know, keeps up and supports us. That was somebody that we, that we love. Carrie Fox Matoyer. She's been incredible. Um, she, 
with her experience and being based in Nashville, but really showing us a lot of the opportunity in New York and LA was really helpful in getting us connected there. Mm-hmm. Um, that really helped us start to expand, um, you know, t- to other cities even. Um, so there was some key people uh, at the beginning and, and now even some, you know, major people at, you know, booking agencies actually giving Mm -hmm. this a try and understanding Mm -hmm. how we can be a feeder program to them and lead generation. So it's been interesting to see the evolution with that. That's amazing. Do you feel like there could be a time where eventually all major booking agencies kind of integrate with you guys? Is that kind of a goal? Yeah, it definitely is a goal. And I mean, we've at least done events with all of the major booking agencies. Some are more integrated with our platform than others. Mm -hmm. Some are like all, you know, totally on board and Mm -hmm. have their rosters on our platform. Others, I think it'll just take, you know, us showing them that we have a lot of event opportunities for their artists. Um, But I do think that day will come when it's just an instant, they're all on there and we have instant access to that talent. Let's hope, let's hope, let's get there. If we could ever do anything to, you know, sync up, I think we should, cause that would be yes. amazing. Uh, we should have that meeting, somebody set that up. Um, but so, so far you've, as you've done this, you're gonna have a lot of really hard days. We have a lot of really hard days still. <laughs> there were a lot of them in the beginning. What would you say is each of your top kind of most rewarding moment so far? Mm, love that. <laughs> Feel that. Yeah, honestly, like, yeah, the hard days, I don't think we'll ever stop. And, uh, but it makes it worth it, obviously, when things, for me, I think uh, seeing how much our team really is passionate about this too, this product, this idea that we thought of many years ago, and that now we have a team that works on this full time with us and like, just obviously being able to pay them, but then also the fact that they're passionate about it and believe in it, I think is what keeps me motivated. So how many are on your team? We are seven full-time. I mean, that's about where I think we were kind of there seven to 10 in that, in that time frame. So yeah. So, you know, now we're at the second set of year seven, we're about to hit 14 and we're at 55. So get ready. Yes. <laughs> I like that acceleration. Yeah. Seriously. What, is, what has been yours, Channing? What has been your most rewarding moment thus far? Mine is similar. I think that there was just, especially for me and Mackenzie and, and the team felt it too, but really for us, and I'm, I'm sure you both can, you know, relate to this. It's just like, we got through, you know, I already thought like year one through five had its really tough moments, but last year, I mean, for, for two business founders and partners to stay in and best friends to stay together through that and, and get through it and then see the other side. And it's almost like, I feel like the past couple of weeks, I've actually been coming out of like the trauma haze of COVID yeah, business. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, Oh, we made it. Like I can take a second. And I've just been so like emotional. I've just like started burst into tears, like can't believe it. And I just think about the, th- the conversations me and Mackenzie have had to have in the past 12 months. And I'm like, yeah. I wouldn't change it for anything. We're so much stronger because of it, but like, yeah. Oh my God. You know, I'm, did you have oh. that experience this past oh, year? Absolutely. And you know, like yours is primarily based on live performance was, was, which was really the first thing to go. I mean, yep. <laughs> there's no place with less personal space than an audience. <laughs> let's let's be honest. So yeah, you know, I think we probably had to pivot in very similar ways. 
as far as the industry going, okay, you're part of what we do to going, you're all of what we can do right now, if that makes mm. any sense. And I'm sure with you guys, you had to pivot and go, okay, in the live side of things, if we don't go digital, we're probably going to go out of business. So for let's talk from the beginning. So, you know, March of last year, whatever that first date was, that was like the first day. I remember it was like, to me, it was like oh. the end of one week and then it was the weekend and then it was like, boom, on a Monday. Yes. So the end of that week, I'll never forget because I was terrified. I don't know why I was like, I always go and get Krispy Kreme donuts after I go to this one doctor because it's next door. So I got a box of Krispy Kreme donuts and I was going to take it to the office but everybody started freaking out and wanting to go home because other company, and it's like, are we do like, what are we? And I was like, oh my gosh. So I remember being so stressed that I just started eating all of the Krispy Kreme donuts. And I remember driving and I called Cassie and I was like, what, is this going to be a thing? Is like, what's happening? And I think the thing that scared me the most was for some reason, the Backstreet Boys came at that moment were the first to kind of tell us like, hey, we're canceling or postponing this, this tour, this leg of this tour. And it was like, oh, and my first thought was I have several high paying clients who literally only pay us to work on the promotion of their live shows that could be detrimental. So, you know, and we're discussing, what do we do? What, do, and, and nobody knew, you know? And so I ate all my donuts. Um, and then <laughs> I had the weekend and then come that Monday, it was like all hands on deck emergency meeting at work. Cause it was like, you know, we started getting calls like Cassie, can you recall like some of the calls you were getting from clients that day? Yeah. I mean, we, we definitely had a bunch of, like, I would say the first couple of weeks, we definitely had a bunch of people call and pause our services. Um, yeah. and that was really scary because like, we just didn't know what the economy was going to look like and how much it was truly going to tank how protective people were going to be of cash but we definitely had a lot of people call us in March and you know I think kind of a key pillar was when South by Southwest got canceled and then I feel like all the dominoes fell after that and we started getting calls at that time and it it, you know it was it was definitely very nerve-wracking to say the least yeah and you know uh, you know to be a little transparent like our finances I don't want to say they're tight but like they really depend on the business being there to keep everyone on staff. It's not like, I always tell people, there's not a pool of secret money somewhere, (laughs) you know? It's like, so like if we're losing several clients, it could very much contribute to losing several staff. It's, It's kind of that correlated. And so, yeah, I mean, we were lucky in the sense that we only had to make, I think two layoffs, which was horrible and like took us so much to just like figure it out go through it. I remember then one of the people, I was like very much trying to help them get another job because we just felt so bad, but yeah, it was really scary. So how quickly did, did that affect you guys kind of your bottom line? <laughs> I just have to first off say like how amazing it is to be talking about this with you two, because it's like talking with you in such a different area of the music industry, mm-hmm. but like, we're like, we're coming at it, looking at it the same way. And yeah. it's just, it's, like, wow, my mind just thinking back to March with you all is crazy. But yeah, Ken, sorry, what were you going to say? Just that, I mean, yes, very much same with us. Like when we're not, if we're not having events, like we can't pay to anyone to just sit around. Like that's, that's everyone's job yeah. is to make sure we have events and then like facilitating those events. So it, you know, it's, 
we had obviously like a, our 2020 pipeline, like was looking pretty good. We were, you know, going to like triple our year in revenue. We were like, this is going to be our year. And then I think we lost it, every dollar of that business in like a week, like every event canceled or at least postponed or wanted to just say, we're like, you know, we're not going to pay this deposit quite yet. Yeah. So what, so what did that immediately cause you guys to have to do just like staff wise, or I don't know if you guys yeah. had offices or like, what are those things that kind of trickle down? Yeah. So we did, we did have to, um, let go the person overseeing sales just cause we were like, there was no sales to be done. Yeah, nothing, and to sell. <laughs> nothing to sell. And we just had to, you know, we knew we had to just figure it out. And I will say that looking back, I think we had a leg up compared to other people doing what we did mm. in the industry yeah. because like, we were in startup mindset. Like at the end of the day, this was awful, but this was like a Tuesday, you know, we're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love that perspective. Cause actually that's kind of actually true. <laughs> it, was it, like, wasn't, it wasn't like that much worse than other crises that have arisen, have arisen in the music industry before. So. Yeah. And so we like sat in lawn chairs instead of sitting in the office and we were like, okay, let's figure this out. Let's throw everything at the wall. And I know you know, Mackenzie is awesome. Like, you know, she keeps us focused on pace, you know, she is the driver. And like, I can imagine how stressful it was because we were throwing everything at the wall. We were like, okay, are we this now? Are we a virtual platform ourselves? Like, what are we doing? And for about two months there, we just tried everything and we made so many mistakes with virtual. It was hilarious, but we started to figure out what worked for corporate clients. And like, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, they just needed their teams to connect in a cool mm -hmm. way to yeah. stay like in community with one another. And so we started yeah. to really, I think, move the needle with focusing on that. Yeah, because I think I think the key interesting thing with this pandemic happening in 2020, if this pandemic happened in 1986, one of the key components of daily life would have not been continuing to make people connect and have events happen, although that's exactly what we had to do. And, and all of us have combined gotten better at virtually communicating and events and all this. So, you know, that's so interesting that you guys took it and said, look, there's a way to do this digitally. We can put together events for people. They just have to connect because truly people still had to connect, you know, and, and, and people were able to connect, which was amazing. So on the corporate side, what, like, what are some cool kind of events and things you guys got to put together and what like technology, I, I don't know on your platforms, I haven't used it. Is there technology built within it that people are connecting on or are using other other technology kind of combined with it? So we use other technologies. Like we wouldn't necessarily host the virtual event. They right. would still need a Zoom or one. Right, okay, yeah. Softwares that actually connects one another. But we really just, I mean, we, we ended up, we did some pretty cool events. Like we did a big event for the Air Force. We did, um, we did get some like cool brands and cool events you know, in the summer, which was great. And they were, you know, that was their first time doing a virtual conference too. So mm -hmm. it was really us oh, having cool. to pretend like we were experts in this space. Yeah. And like, we knew anything about virtual events because it was so new to everybody. You know, it wasn't yeah. like, you know, people had any expectations at all. Like we kind of just had to say, you should try this. And we know it's yeah. going to be great, even though we've never actually done it before. So on the side of say music or entertainment like that, yeah. what are some of the things you guys did? 
Yeah. So we, we started really just thinking about things very singular, like, oh, you will book this artist or you will book this magician. And we started just honing in and what worked there. But mm-hmm. then what really like flipped the script for us and had things start picking up um, even more than we expected was we started almost curating our own experiences where we'd create these like packs where they would book, you know, an hour or two hours for their team. And we had like four to eight different jam packed experiences. So it was right when like mixology and then there was magic and then it flowed to music and games. It was this very like interactive experience for them. And then we started just finding crazier shit, honestly, like, you know, doing virtual tarot corporate readings and doing you know these weird games together and improv team building and like any like we our team basically became scouts for weird stuff and it started working and so it's been tons of fun because we're i think a big focus for us is how do we even make in-person events more interactive and community driven when we come back to them and then how do we keep people staying engaged in unique ways virtually when they can't be in person first of all i'm i'm very sad i didn't hire you for our christmas parties because they were the main of my existence i'm just oh my gosh all i remember is like (laughs) i want tarot cards jade i let and, and god bless them i let our assistants put together our Christmas parties. They were great. Everybody loved them. But I just remember we were playing like Pictionary and someone's drawing an elf on a shelf and it looked like a coffin and I kept screaming coffin. Everyone's drunk. It was, I'm just like, I don't, what are we we doing? (laughs) It would have been better to have actual entertainment instead of us screaming. And entertain each other. Trying to entertain each other. That was what happened, yes. I would like a petting (laughs) zoo. And a tarot card reading. and We like, have a petting zoo. I'm well, not we did kidding. hire, what was it? We hired a farm during COVID That's for like awesome. a staff surprise. And like, I don't know, some like pigs and donkeys got on the camera and everybody was very excited. So we did do that. Nice. That's perfect. Uh, I want like, I, I love the idea of like weird stuff. I think that. Oh, awesome. I love it. It actually sounds a lot like the kind of stuff I had to book when I was doing events at Radio Disney. Like Jonathan the Juggler, very frequent person I booked. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone in Richmond literally knows what I'm talking about. Um, but I've been there. Okay. I love it. So I'm going to change the subject to something a little more serious. You know, we're coming off of Women's History Month. We're all women. We've all ran our own businesses, started, ran them, stayed in business, uh, worked together on them. Let's talk about those challenges because they're always so interesting uh, to me. So the first thing I'm going to ask you guys is... Have you yet had um, any experiences that have you think maybe prohibited you from moving forward because of somebody treating you a different way because you were a woman? Chan? <laughs> Kent, I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy to jump in with that first. I think, honestly, um, starting out so young, I w- wonder how this was for you too as well. But I think... Um, Maybe it was both being female and our age, but I think it was more the age that was the issue to start. But we were, again, like Mackenzie said, we barreled through. We didn't care that we were naive in this way. And so we just kept going. But I think um, 
us joining uh, that accelerator when we were still in college and then really just being thrown in to figuring out how to build this business. Those first two years were so hard because we didn't know what we were doing, but we had to act like we did. And I'm sure like, you know, being two girls from college, like, of course we got the, Oh, do you guys just get into cat fights? Cause you're girls. And we're like, could you <laughs> shut up? Thank you. Like, <laughs> definitely got that. But I think having a partner in this helps so much just defy that and deflect it and be like, we're still going, like we're not stopping. Yeah. Um, so I think it hasn't held us back and I'm very fortunate for that. I know there could have been experience that have, so we're lucky that we, I think we've been really protected by mentors that have really poured into us. Um, but there was definitely times I think where I personally felt like I had to act like someone I wasn't and I never mm -hmm. want to have to do that again. And I want everyone to know who's starting a business that you don't have to pretend that you're something you're not. You just are who you are. And um, I really, I personally really struggled with that when we were first getting started. Yeah. I would say to add on, I don't think there act, no actual time, no opportunity comes to mind that we lost because we were women and that actually may have happened, but we didn't think about you know it yeah, that yeah. way. And I think it's different for everybody in every industry and in every role and every level of that role. But I think because we're entrepreneurs and we were kind of making up the rules for ourselves, like it didn't, that's why it didn't affect us as much mm -hmm. as it might in other yeah. industries or positions. Like we didn't have mm -hmm. somebody necessarily saying, oh, you know, you shouldn't do it this way, or this is like, I'm not going to listen to your idea, yeah. or I'm not going to pay you as much. Like we were making up all those rules as we go. So yeah. that's why I, I guess it hasn't, I don't think it's that specifically has affected our experience as it has many other experiences. Yeah, I, I we kind of feel the same way and and a kind of an angle that we explain this after, you know, doing this for 15 years is we felt less of that when we started because we were like you guys. We were making our own rules. We it, we were the leader of the company and so we, you know, answered to ourselves. And also something else that's interesting is like with us, we were providing a service i.e. like just expertise on digital and social media that no one knew at that point, which also we were making up as we went because we were kids using the platforms. Um, and then because of that, it was hard to tell us, you don't know what you're doing because literally no one knew what they were doing mm -hmm. and we knew more than them. <laughs> but, you know, something that we've experienced and I hope you don't experience, but just kind of where we're at on it to compare. In the beginning, I think that we didn't, I mean, look, I look back now, I, the one thing that I actually have realized in the past few years is how much sexual harassment actually happened, especially when I toured a lot that I didn't know was yeah. that when it happened. Um, but outside of that, just like men looking down on us or coming after us or, or mansplaining us, I think that happens so much more now that we have power we have giant projects. We are the experts at things and people listen to us. Um, we have a podcast. We say what we want to say. We, we know what we're doing. It's been harder, I think, especially for me and I think Cassie too, like as we've gotten better at what we've done, now we've become as good or better than some men. And I'm getting more of the pushback now than I ever did when I was younger. Wow. So just 
Yeah, I, you know, and I think, you know, for me, I think that the older you get, like, the closer you get to the glass ceiling. And so I would definitely say, like, the older I've gotten, I feel like I've felt it more. Because, you know, for example, this isn't even sexism. It's just, like, losing out on opportunities because you're a woman. But, like, it's weird for me to go to dinner with a bunch of dudes that are 10 years older than me. And that's, but unfortunately, that's where, like, you make contracts. And sometimes it's, like, it's, like, sometimes I'll go and I'll do my best. But I'm just, like, I don't relate to them about golf, their kids. Like, I'm just not in that category. And it's, like, it's kind of unfortunate because you sort of lose some opportunities that that way. Um, I do also think that Jade and I have been fortunate enough to work with a lot of guys who were really great about sort of making sure that we were treated equally and and lifted up which you know I started thinking about a lot um this week because or on Monday I had a meeting where I I was I had had a meeting in like three hours and uh, one of the guys that I work with on another project called me and he's like I'm just gonna let you take this meeting I don't need to be on it I don't understand why they always want me to be on the call I always tell them you run point and I agree with everything you say and I was like I just think they want you on because they think you're more powerful or you know, they're, you're going to say something different. I mean, they're like, no, they're just being misogynistic idiots. And just like to hear somebody else like say it, because like, I never would have called it that, but like to hear like him say it and like that he was annoyed by it was really interesting for me. And then I got on that call, that guy wasn't on it. And then it was me and seven men on a zoom call and um, talking about a female artist, ironically. And they, they, um, you know, they started talking about like, okay, we're going to put this plan together and present it to Larry. And like one of the guys on the call was like, just a reminder that Cassie is the one who runs point on this project on this side. It is not Larry. Larry trusts her implicitly and it is Cassie. And, you know, it's just kind of hard to say that stuff about yourself sometimes. I just was appreciative of like, one, somebody like actually saying it when it was happening, because Mm -hmm. I just don't think I would have had the, you know, I I think I, I kind of looked at that happening to me not being misogyny but it being like I'm not as good as that person I work with and like to sort of like have it be called what it was was you know eye-opening but also like grateful that somebody did it and then to have somebody like have my back and be like no like she's the point person on this like it 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 meant a lot to me um but it's yeah I definitely feel it maybe I'm just my eyes are more open now I don't know what it is but I I definitely feel it more now than I I did when we when we started in you know the first couple years of our business I think it's interesting because you say like it's hard for you to say that about yourself and that's because so many other people have made you feel inadequate you know and like and for me it's like always I mean shoot that's what's working through in therapy like the time this one guy made me feel inadequate or this other person or you know and, and it's over I think too like over the years in the beginning you haven't built up all those times if that makes any sense I've built up a lot more bad experiences now and uh, I feel like although I get stronger every year I also have more to work through Mm. for me it's 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 just an ever going thing for all of us you know yes definitely and I it sucks to hear how it doesn't get better necessarily, probably even gets worse. That's uh, not comforting, but I guess to be expected. But I think also, I mean, the worst part is that actions of somebody else can make you really question yourself when you've not done anything wrong yeah. or done anything to make those questions valid. That's the wor- That's what sucks the most. And it's just natural. Like, how do you you know, how do you just stop? Like you don't, you know, it's yeah. just like, you're always gonna, if you're the only one, you're going to think those things. And it just, that's the worst part. It's interesting that you say like, 
you know, it's, it didn't get better. It, get, it got worse. Maybe that's what I'm saying right now. However, I think it is getting better. And I think that it's getting better because of people like us, because you know, what's so cool right now. I've talked, I talked about this on something the other day. I don't know if it was a podcast or what, but I did this thing for March and it was just like a little random idea I had. I was like, I'm going to feature every woman in our company on my Instagram for women's history month. So I had them all do a little interview, put it on, you know, I put it on Instagram, whatever. Honestly, one for me, it was so both like heartbreaking and amazing reading almost every single person saying I've dealt with all this stuff we're talking about. And this is why I got through it. And this is how you can get through it. I've had so many people reach out to me saying, thank you for that. I love hearing these stories. But I think the thing now that kind of like, you know, we're at April 1st, the month is over. I think the coolest thing that I got out of it was realizing that me and Cassie actually are changing the future because of the fact that these 30 plus women that are all younger than us were able to get on there and say, here are the things, like, they all gave advice to other women and it was strong advice that I don't think I could have given at that point. It was something I was still questioning and figuring out. I don't uh, And they're all like, you know, you need to do it. You're as worthy as the man across the table from you. You deserve opportunities too. And I was like, we're teaching them this and they're seeing the reality of it. So although yes, maybe it got worse for me in, in these, this time, it is getting better. And it, even us sitting here right now doing this show, we're making it better. And they, there was such good advice in there. Like I really enjoyed reading everyone's, you know, quotes, interviews, whatever, however they contributed, but there was some really great perspective and just, just cool to see so many intelligent things being said. Yeah, very much so. Okay. So moving into 2021, I just got my second vaccination. Currently feel super awesome. (laughs) Um, awesome because it happened when when do you guys like everybody asks us this all the time so I'm gonna ask you guys because you're the live people when are we gonna see concerts again like what do you think like what what are you thinking about 2021 2020 I hear these opinions all day so what is yours what is your opinion okay well it seems like just you know like it was last year how everything was changing through the pandemic on the weekly Mm -hmm. now we're seeing that with everything changing faster than we thought and coming back live I mean thank God, the distribution of the vaccine is getting out there faster now. I was pretty worried there for a minute, but it's, I mean, the uptick we've seen in live and in person coming in for Q3 blew my mind this, yeah. these past two weeks, even. I mean, I the mean, Bonnaroo big, announcement, like, yes, Bonnaroo, that, like, that was like, that was beautiful. like a beacon of light for me. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It's yes. that. I saw Life is Beautiful in Vegas in September and Electric Daisy Carnival went on sale. It's about to pop off. I mean, the, the conferences we're seeing, even like we're, we're, you know, a lot of people are starting to see like some private and social events because we live in that world of corporate, private, social, a lot of social events in Q2 and then Q3 is like, it's kind of all hands on deck is what it seems like right now. And of course that maybe people could be like, okay, let's balance it out a bit with some hybrid. But yes, I, I mean, we're seeing a lot come in for September and October, which is exciting. We weren't sure. Yeah, I was, I was talking to Donnie Osmond yesterday and he is full power of getting that Vegas show together for August. I'm like, I'll be there. Yes. <laughs> so, that's so, oh, that's so exciting. It is. It's like, no, he was like really excited, excited. And we just like had a conversation about it. So I'm ready. What, for okay. It. So what is, what is like, 
if you could, if you could choose one, like, okay, everybody gets to go to whatever show they want today. It's the first day back. Who do you choose? Lizzo. Mm. I just want to go crazy. I know. I thought Bonnaroo and Lizzo, Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. where I'll be. I want to just go wild. So what about you, Mackenzie? Well, unfortunately, my my number one act that I've always wanted to see live, even before COVID, was Daft Punk. And so a little sad about that. Yeah, but that. here's my theory. No one ever actually retires. So don't That's worry about it. Like they'll at least do like <laughs> solo things or something. Yeah. But when but I like saw so that, I was I just event. figured I was like, oh, they haven't done anything in years. Like they'll totally come back now and like do a huge like, European tour. I'm there. Uh, retirement is no longer a statement. It is a marketing tool. <laughs> so true. <laughs> I'm very dumb. So true. What about you two, Jade? If I had to choose at that moment, gosh. It would, I mean, it would probably be Fall Out Boy. That's just a drug that I can't match. Mm, I need yeah. that right now, too. Nice. That, that's yeah. some angst out. What about yes. you, Cassie? I'm debating what, like, what kind of mood I'm in. Yeah, um, I know. I think, I mean, this isn't like, everyone's not going to know what this is, but I, I really want to see McFly. That's like where Oh, I'm gosh. Yeah, that too. You know what? I, I just want to see a concert with Lee. I am feeling that you're friendly right. yes yes my friendly yes. i want to see a boy band with her it can be mcfly it can yeah. be baxter boys it can be yeah. Ota. i don't care i, I mean i'm not gonna lie i kind of want to see a boy band with you so we yeah. all of all three of us all of we us to, we have yeah. to see a boy band it just feels like the it's right funny. can come like <laughs> yes like we've had this fr- i mean cassie grew up with lee in kentucky in high school i guess and then i met her through cassie in college and we've we've created this text thread during quarantine, and it's literally only about boy bands. <laughs> so yeah. That's all we talk about. <laughs> you need those things to get you through. And yeah. a boy band thread sounds like one of those. It's amazing. All right. So I want to end with you guys as young entrepreneurs giving advice to other because here's the thing. I feel like so when I went to MTSU, you know, I actually got an entrepreneurship minor. And my complaint was that most of what they taught us on the, in the business school, not the music industry school, was about product-driven industries, you know? And like, although, you know, selling of CDs and music is one thing, we're a, we're a service company. And there wasn't a lot of that. Um, so anyways, that being said, I also feel like there was not a lot of talk about entrepreneurial moves in the music industry when we were in college. And the whole process of like going to college felt like being told, this is how you get a job. And nobody ever said, but you can also create a job. So as mm-hmm. somebody else who did that, and maybe that's not something that's being being taught in colleges and these programs, we, you know, we have a lot of listeners that are in the MTSU and Belmont programs. What is some advice you can give young people that are thinking of starting their own business outside of just looking for a job? Love that. I think my... I always used to have the same advice like that I would give. And I think I, I won't say that anymore. I would, I would say, just go for it. Like you can do it, try it out. And now my advice is honestly like the opposite of that. Like, yes, go for it. You absolutely can do it, but like do your homework, you know, like don't go spend a bunch of time and money on a product or service that's not validated. Like go make sure a hundred people at least need that, not just two and make sure they're willing to pay money for it. We, you know, spend a ton of money developing our first product without doing any testing or seeing, oh, maybe this is how people are going to actually use it. 
And you know, that's thousands of dollars we could have saved. So that would be Mm -hmm. my advice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I feel like my theme right now, both in business and product service, or just in myself is like, know what you actually are, like not what you want to be right now, like know what it is. Because I think for, for us and for others, it's like, you get this idea of what it can be, but it's like really talking to that customer and seeing like, what do they want out of this and gear towards that? Like that's a deliverable. And I mean, for example, like we always were like, we are this technology platform product, but really we were similar with you all. Like we were a a service that was being streamlined through um, technology. That's okay. It's okay that we weren't the product we thought we were. Let's just be what we actually are and let's do it really well. Um, So I think just calling it what it is and then going for it and making that your business with everything you've got, if that makes sense. Yes, totally makes sense. Amazing. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Where, uh, where can people follow you guys online and your company? Uh, all of our socials are at book with Eva and our website is bookwitheva.com. And what about you two? At Channing Moreland. I'm at stoked for Stokel. Amazing. All right. Thank you guys so much. This episode was edited by Hannah Humphreys and produced by CrowdSurf with original music by Cody Falkowski.